0: Because everyone has basically preached my preach for me, um, I have no time for my bad jokes. I'm really sorry. Um, which, is, which is genuinely sad, because they're so bad that they're worth, they're worth doing. But I will refrain on this one occasion, which just means I can save them up for next time. Right. Um, contrary to what I said last time I spoke to you, when I was started in Romans, I said I was going to um, work through Romans. Um, I, I, I know now that I must not say... What I'm going to do next time. Because the um, Holy Spirit doesn't seem to work that way with me. Um, so I'm not going to. I am in Romans, but I'm not in Romans 2. I'm not the second half of Romans 1. Um, I'm in Romans 12, the first few verses of Romans 12. I don't think I have it on my PowerPoint, or do I? Find it. If you wouldn't mind, um, that would be amazing. Romans 12, 1 to 8. Thanks, Joe, you're religion. Um, let me start. Um, This preach is for the adventurers out there. This preach is for the passionate people. This preach is for the guys that know there's a dragon to be fought, um, possibly a damsel to be rescued, um, a battle to be won. This is for the girls that know there's a dragon to fight, um, that know that your destiny is to be powerful to be a great woman or man of God and this is what we've heard so far this morning this preaches is for people who know they have a glory and for those of you who don't know that you have a glory because you do we're going to end up in a place hopefully where you agree with me that you have a glory something to give something worth shining and the world needs you to be fully you and we're going to get to that place by looking at some very familiar themes we're going to look at um, who God is how we look at God how we look about ourselves in light of who God is and how God looks at us like the, 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 this isn't rocket science but it's so foundational Um, and its application is immense. Um, How does this fit into our honour theme at the moment? I think it fits in brilliantly. Last week, Jules said to us that honour creates a culture where it's safe to one another effectively. Um, Honour says, I see you as you are, and it's okay to challenge you when you're not that and to celebrate when you are. Um, In order for us to one another, in order for us to celebrate... Tanya's incredible hospitality gift that she blesses the church with and not feel threatened by that. We need to know who we are. Because when you know who you are and you know that you have your own light to shine, then when you see someone else's light, you're not threatened by it. But you are celebratory of it and embrace it and you appreciate that it's a different colour to yours. And we need them all to make up the white light that is our glory. We are going to look at, um, this is slightly more expositional preach, I'm going to take us through a few verses in the Bible. Did you manage to find it? You legend, can you put it up for me? Um, I'm just going to work our way through a few verses. Um, I'm not going to read it all and then go back to it because we'll we'll get through it. So I'm just going to start straight away. This is um, Paul is just, he's at chapter 12 of Romans, he's just spent the first half of Romans... Presenting a glorious argument for salvation by grace, effectively, Jesus did it. You don't have to. Um, he then sidetracks for a couple of chapters um, where he talks about Israel and the, um, the Gentile Judaic thing, where God is effectively summary is he's embracing both Jews and Gentiles, which at that time in that culture was revolutionary. The fact that the gospel would be out there, that Jesus would, or that God would reach out to more than just his chosen nation. So, when it says therefore, in view of God's mercy, the therefore is because he's speaking to Rome, which is a church full of Jews and Gentiles. So, in view of God's mercy, you're all now included. That's what the therefore means. Mercies, because we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Because Christ did it all for us and then attributed everything that he has to us that's mercy in view of God's mercy offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing my ESV says holy and acceptable let's just camp there for two minutes before we start anything else we're told you are holy and you are acceptable it's not telling you to become holy and acceptable it's not telling you that as you worship, worship makes you more acceptable. It's telling you that you worship because you are holy and already accepted. Yeah. It's, it's, I could sit down now, as it were. I mean, the rest of my preach is kind of wrapped up in that. You are holy now. You are acceptable yeah. now. Yeah. You worship because of that, not in order to become that. This is your spiritual act of worship I've got my little subheading here in my notes, worship versus the worm. You don't come to God saying, woe is me, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. Please have mercy on me. If only I'm good enough, if only you'll forgive me. Because that, have you not just read the first two words before? You don't come him dishonoring the cross by making yourself lowly and worm-like you render ineffective what Christ did at the cross if that's the way you come to God in your worship. You come to God in your worship with thankfulness in your heart because of what he's done and praise on your lips because of what he's done and you give him glory because of who he is and because he has what, what he has already done. You don't worship to be transformed, you worship because you are transformed. Um, you base it all on the cross You believe that he has plans for you. He has a destiny for you. You worship because he's a good God and he's got a place for you to go where your dreams are going to be fulfilled and he's going to get incredible glory because you are incredibly satisfied. That's your destiny in God. And if you believe anything less than that, you're robbing God of the chance to receive glory through your happiness and your satisfaction. I'm not saying everything will be a plain road, but I'm saying your destiny is glory increasing glory. You're in glory now, we'll get to that later, but your destiny is increasing glory for you and him, not just for him. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Um. Joe, could you put the slide up that starts with verse 2? It, um, it just starts up with V2, and then there's a bold bit, and then that's the one. Thank you. There's the verse. Here's how the, here's how the argument is written in the Bible. Do not conform, be transformed by renewing of the mind, I've got it wrong around, renewing of the mind, um, that by testing you may discern what in the will of God is. But the way, that, the way you have to view this logically, the way you have to work this out, is the second one. A renewal of the mind leads to transformation, which results in non-conformity with the world and an ability to test and approve what God's will is. So you have to change it around for it to make sense in your head, and I think that's just important, or else it gets slightly confusing um, when you're looking at what leads to what. Let's start with the first one, renewal of the mind. Just leave that slide up there for now. Thanks, Tom, that's really helpful. Renewal of the mind is living, I think, living with an awareness of what God has already done in you, the fact that you are holy. That's the foundation of renewing your mind. The more we camp out in this truth, the more our lives will be transformed. Do excuse me looking at my notes a lot. I've written this out longhand today, and um, I'm aware that, I don't want to miss a lot of what I've said so often I'm running around the room today I'm going to be a bit more focused but I'm going to try and maintain eye contact as much as I can 2 Corinthians 3.18 says and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another you become what you look at So that again, then I'll read the verse again. You become what you look at, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. If you want to have your mind renewed, leading to transformation, leading to the other things, look at Jesus, look at the cross. Behold the Lord, fill your mind, fill your eyes, fill your heart, fill your ears with Christ. We'll more, we'll come, not in there we'll come more onto the glory a bit later. In Joshua, we're told that when the Israelites had come out of Egypt, they spent um, 40 years wandering through the desert. And then as they crossed finally over the Jordan River into what was their promised land, their inheritance, um, God commanded that they all be circumcised again. Now, there obviously wasn't a second circumcision for the guys, because the the generation that were in Egypt all died in the wilderness. The generation that came through were born in the wilderness, came to the Jordan, and they were uncircumcised. Circumcision is a physical cutting off of the flesh. That's physically what it is. It's also symbolic of the circumcision of the heart, Paul talks about in Romans that circumcision is not just of the flesh but of the heart. But right back where it started, and this is really interesting, circumcision was a sign given to Abraham of the covenant that God made with him. God made a covenant with Abraham. And to prove this covenant as a constant reminder to Abraham, or Abraham as he was then, of the covenant God made, God said, I want you to circumcise all the males on the eighth day. What happened at that covenant? This is really fascinating. Here's what God said to Abraham. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. This is back in Genesis 17.1. The word here, blameless, is the same word, perfect, that's used to describe the sacrificial lambs that were required as part of the sacrifice. The pure, spotless ones. It's the same word um, that's symbolic of, of Christ as the sacrificial lamb. Interestingly, it's also the same word that's used to describe God in 2 Samuel. So right back in Genesis, forget the new covenant, forget the cross yet, right back in Genesis, just as God begins to choose his people out of the earth and say, I will be your God, you will be my people, he declares over them, walk before me and be blameless. Do not work to become blameless. Do not practice blamelessness until you die and then death will somehow make you blameless and you'll get into heaven because death has made you clean. He declares over them, back in Genesis, be blameless. Circumcision is a symbol of of God's commitment to us and our perfection in Christ now. Our holiness are being made like God. After the Israelites had been circumcised, they had to heal up in the camp until... They remained in the camp until they were healed, which does make sense, Um, just from any wound. Jules recently had a little bit of minor surgery in her arm. She had um, stitches and then plasters over her arm. She was not allowed to put any pressure on it, do any weights, go to the gym, kind of pick anything up until it was healed. If she'd put pressure on it, used it, before it was healed, it might have opened an infection, might have got in you don't have a wound anymore let me make this clear but you did have something taken off didn't you you had the flesh removed at the cross you had your sinful nature taken away from you you were buried with Christ you died with him what raised up you were raised up with Christ in his resurrection and what was raised up was not a cleaned up version of the old it was a brand new version But I think for us, there can be, as part of the renewing of the mind, a need to remain in the camp until we're fully healed. What do I mean by that? I mean the same as I said for the last section. You need to camp out in the truth of what has happened to you. Live in the reality. The flesh has gone. You are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You have a new heart. Not a heart of stone, a heart of flesh. God has made it in you. And if you step out of that camp, if you go and try and do stuff, if you go and try and do what Tanya's trying to do, outside of an awareness that a fundamental change has taken place, before that wound is healed, the wound might reopen, you'll try to do things in your own strength, lies might come in, you'll you'll burn out. Remain in the camp until you are healed. Live with an awareness of what Christ has done in you. That's how your mind is renewed. Transformed, the next verse. Transformation. This word only appears four times in my ESV Bible. Two times it describes the transfiguration that happened to Jesus when he went up the mountain. Um, Once here, transformation, and another times in 2 Corinthians. And I've read that already. Um, We're told that with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image. Um, this word in the Greek is called a present passive verb that means it's an ongoing process that someone else is responsible for and this is really exciting because this means that someone else is being responsible for your increasing glory someone else is continually presently right now every day looking out for your transformation i move on to one more thing then I'll come back to what this is not saying in case any of you have got questions in your minds right now all three of the other mentions of this word apart from this one here um, refer to glory and this is where my preach gets really exciting for me (laughs) Um, either we're seeing Jesus get glorious quite literally he went up onto the mountain and his face shone literally his skin glowed um, and the people with him were obviously surprised um, um, in a similar way when Moses spent time on the mountain before he got the, the Ten Commandments and came back with the Levitical laws he, as he was spending 40 days in the presence of God when he came down his skin literally glowed and um, they had to put a veil over his face um, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. It says in 2 Corinthians. "A veil was put over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. The outcome of the old covenant was your Glory. The original intention when Moses was there was your glory, was his glory. Being glorious was the intention of the Old Testament. Moses got a foretaste, a glimmer of what it's like. When Christ came, he brought it to all of us. It says, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. What was being brought to an end was the old covenant, the sense that you are responsible for your salvation in any way. Not that you ever were, but there was the the, the rituals, the, the tabernacle, all that pointed towards Christ, all of history is pointing towards him or reverts back to him, doesn't it? And the outcome of that that was being brought to an end was glory was that you would end up with a face like Moses, so bright that people can't look at it. I genuinely mean that actually I think your skin should glow, could glow. Okay. Um, it's important to note here what's not being said. I'm just going to read this because this is, I don't want to get this wrong. Nowhere are we told that either Jesus' is or Moses' or our holiness is affected this is not talking about a process of sanctification whereby we become more like jesus in our holiness and righteousness okay that was done and dealt with at the cross god was able to declare in genesis be blameless before me because he knew that the lamb slain before the foundation of the world the cross of christ was enough to make you holy and blameless okay transformation is going to occur there is an increasing glory to glory, but it is not an increase in holy to holy to holy. You have to understand that, because if, you're, if you don't, then you will spend your time trying to be holy rather than letting your holiness release glory. I will never stop saying this you will get bored of me saying this this is my life's message I will never stop telling you that you are holy God has done it all for you and because Christ is now in you you can shine not with any arrogance because it's not your light shining per se but it is the Jesus in you shining and I want you to shine Um, this is speaking of a process of glorification whereby we shine more like Jesus we reveal more of him to others we see his glory become more evident. This is maturity. This is growing in maturity. There is a process in our Christian walk, but it's not increasing holiness. Oh, so much. Um, quickly, John Eldridge, who's a, a favourite author of mine, wrote a book many years ago called Waking the Dead. Um, it's an amazing book. I recommend you read it. Um, in this book, he, the premise of the whole book is essentially You have a glory. You have a light. And what the world needs is for your light to shine. What the world most really needs is you to be fully you. And this is the essence of my preach right now. Um, I, I think this theme runs true through the Bible. I think in your hearts will ring true with stories where there is a hero or heroine where their glory becomes unveiled and we see them become fully themselves. Think of um, Joseph in the Bible, one of the youngest unwanted brothers revealed as a prince of Egypt. Think of Peter, a humble fisherman, At Pentecost, he preaches, he lets his glory shine, 3,000 are saved. And then in stories, think of Strider in um, Lord of the Rings. In Return of the King, he's finally revealed as Aragorn. And he comes in and he takes Gondor back. He stands up and says... He, he, he stops shying away from who he is and he steps into, I am actually one of the Dunedain. I am. This is my inheritance. There is a bloodline that comes to me. I will be fully me. And now I'm fully me. I will lead an army. You know? Cinderella. A servant girl in the ashes... She's revealed as a princess, isn't she? It's in all the best stories. Harry Potter, the unwanted orphan, who, because he believes the truth about himself and knows that love is going to win, defeats Lord Voldemort. Neo, in The Matrix, this computer geek, because he believes in himself, becomes the one, defeats the evil, the enemies. Whatever story it is that you are into... There is something woven within our hearts that responds to, I want that for me. There's a princess in me. There's a prince in me. I've got a glory that I want to shine. I want to fight. I want to win. I want my life to count for something. I don't want to die at the end of my days having lived, having just existed rather. I want to die having truly lived knowing that when I go out, I go out in a blaze of glory. Not because I'm going to live fast and die young. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about live living fully and living well. Nelson Mandela says this: "Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful. Sorry, beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, "Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented and fabulous? Actually. Who are you not to be? You're a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to manifest the glory of God that is within us. As we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. so much Um, this glorification process we're talking about it Um, the Greek word means it's something that has already been it's a um, it's a a one point in time action although it might actually take place over a period of time viewed as a single collective whole that occurred in the past what that means is it's something that can have occurred in the past but it's viewed as done and dusted. As far as heaven's concerned, you are glorious. Romans 8 says, Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Your glorification is a sealed, done and delivered process in heaven's eyes. But you now get to spend the rest of your life reaching what has already been done for you. Yeah? Yeah. Let's move on. Non-conformity. That kind of almost isn't what talking about now, does it? Because of this glorious truth, of course you're not going to look anything like the spirit of the age. Of course you're not going to conform. Duh. You know? I don't need to say anything more on that. If this is true, if that happens, then this happens, then of course that will happen. You Tell me you can be glorious and then conform to this age. It's not going to happen. Um, and then the last thing and this is the bit that confused me a bit when I read this um, and I've never really got my head around this verse in all, the, all my years of being a Christian until I started studying it this time that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good, acceptable and perfect does it mean that we're supposed to try a bunch of things out and then hope for, that one of them was God's will You know, eat all the pies and the one that didn't kill us that was God's will it can't mean that, but we are told to test. The word test in the Greek does actually mean test. Is it metal? I don't know. Test it? Yes, it is. And it's to find out, to, to experiment through testing it. Test to, to test is what it says it is. Is there only one specific route for our lives? Is the will of God like a narrow line? And if I walk off the line, oh, no, I'm out of God's will. Is that the test, to know the one path you've got to walk? Because that doesn't feel like where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, does it? So that doesn't sit easily with me either. So what does it mean to test what the God's will is? And how does being transformed make that possible, make it easier? Because this seems to suggest that because we've transformed with a renewed mind, we'll test and know what God's will is. Uh, what does that mean? Until you move on to the next verse. And the next couple of verses, and this is where I think sometimes Bibles are unhelpful. In my Bible, they put a paragraph break here. Uh, yes, just before here they put a paragraph break there and they put a subheading and then they come up with verse 3 for by the grace of God given to me I say so to every one of you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you if we take that paragraph break out it seems to make much more sense that test what God's will is his pleasant, his, his, test what God's will is for you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought I suggest to you that God's will for you is quite simply that you think of yourself with sober judgment. That you think of yourself correctly. That you think of yourself the way he thinks about you. This seems to fit much more smoothly with the previous few lines. It's nice to know that um, this process of thinking about self with sober judgment um, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you, um, it's nice to know that that isn't a finite measure. Again, um, I, I'm not a Greek scholar, I just have books that tell me these things. Um, the Greek there does allow for an increase. It does allow for um, the measure can increase. So you're not stuck with the measure you currently have Drat it, you know. It's as your measure increases, as you have more faith about who God is, how God thinks about you, you will have a soberer, a sounder, a more correct judgment of yourself. As you have a more correct judgment of yourself, you will be able to ascertain what God's will is more, because his will is that you think of yourself properly. The more you think of yourself, the way he thinks of you, the more like him you become. The more like him you become, the more your will and his will become intertwined and become intermeshed, and it's all blurry anyway. Go and enjoy, enjoy God and have fun. That should be your life mantra: enjoy God and have fun. Because if you're enjoying God, you're having fun. We'll give Him glory and bring you and bring you satisfaction and praise. Because you're redeemed, you're new. Having fun won't look like sinning for you anymore, because you're new. Having, and, I, and, I, and personally, I don't think there is one line for your, for your, um, your will. You know, God's will for your life. I think God's will for um, Tanya's life clearly involves hospitality and stirring it up within us. Why do I know that? Because it brings her passion. Because it's what she was made to do. How does she know that? Because she loves it, and it makes her come alive. What's God's will for my life? It's that I preach. Why do I know that? Because it brings me life. And hopefully it brings you life. What's God's will for Chris's life? That he sings songs that glorify Jesus and catch other people up in that. Okay, This is why we're talking about spiritual gifts at the moment. Body, unity. We can't talk about spiritual gifts until we know who we are. But the minute we know who God is, the minute we understand what he's done for us, the minute we begin to think of ourselves with sober judgment, now, and only now, are we in a safe place to say, if you prophesy, do it in, do it in response to your faith. Uh, move on, please. If you can. Um, if prophesying prophesy in proportion to your faith, your faith will increase. As you have your mind renewed and go on being more like Jesus, your prophecy will increase. But I won't be challenged by it because I'll be too busy teaching in response to my gift. And Tani won't be challenged by it because she'll be too busy baking amazing things and opening her home up and loving people into the kingdom. Those of you that have money, be it a lot or a little, You won't be challenged by my teaching because you'll be busy dipping your hand into your pocket and giving it to the Tuffinals in a couple of weeks' time. But that will be your gift. Lastly, yes, imagine a story where a father and young son are walking by a river enjoying the boats and the fishermen's nets on the side the smell and the sounds. As they walk, they become entangled in some old netting left on the side of the river that they fail to notice. The boy, who cannot swim, slips and slips in to the river. The man rushes to follow, but his feet are caught and knotted in the, fi- in the fine fishing tackle. Desperately, he grapples with the netting, clawing at it with his nails as he watches the boy struggle in the water. Finally, he manages to undo the tight knot around his feet and rescue his son. Before I read that story, hands up who wanted to be a fingernail in the body. Without fingernails, that boy might have been dead because that man could not have the ability to undo those knots. It does not matter what part of the body you are. There is no glorious or inglorious part of the body. There is just the body and your job, my job within the body, is to be the most glorious fingernail that you can be. You've only got to ask a guitarist. My dad plays the guitar, classical guitar. He has weak nails. They flex and they break easily. My thumbs get really dry in the, in the, in the winter and the skin cracks. I don't notice what my... Th- I, I, I don't spend my days thinking, man, I, I love my thumbs. They're really great. But the minute they crack, I notice how useful my thumbs are, okay? It does not matter what part of the body you play because of what Jesus is, what God has done, of who you are, be the best you you can be and we will change the world. Thank you very much.